Ah, that was awesome! <laughs> Did you know that when I was 18 years old, I could strict curl, just pick it, strict curl 180 pounds when I was 18 years old? Yeah, that was nothing compared to... <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. I could strict curl 180 pounds. When I was in my 20s, um, I was in college, I took 18 credits uh, at, at college. I worked 60 hours a week for Exxon. I I'm, I'm, was a manager of two Exxon stations. I worked 60 hours a week, and I ran the junior high at my wife's church, Evangelical Free Church in New Jersey. When I was third, in my 30s, 38 years old, I went out for a semi-pro football team, and I made it. I made it. I went out for the team. Didn't do it in high school. It bugged me so much that I was a semi-pro football team, the King's Comets that were around here. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go out for the team. I made it. I immediately retired and became their chaplain. So I never played a game, but I made the team. When I was 48, I took on an Akita, 120-pound Akita. It was a Japanese war dog, and I saved someone's life. And I was, as I was trying to defend her, I was hitting the dog and trying to back him off. And every time I would hit him, he would bite me in the hand and bite me in the other hand. He bit me through the thigh. And I finally decided, enough is enough. And so I remember what my brother told me years ago. If you're ever fighting a large dog, take away its primary weapon, which is its mouth. So I gave the dog my arm, and when he latched on him, my arm, it felt like a vice with teeth. He grabbed my arm and he squeezed down, but as soon as he grabbed my arm, I reached around his neck and I was twisting. And I knew that two things were going to happen. If he hung onto my arm, I'd snap his neck and that would be the end of the dog. Or I would pull him off his feet and land on him. That's what happened. He let go. I pulled him. He landed on his, he landed on his back. I stuck my left hand, which was bleeding, into his collar and squeezed him and held him down until he basically, I choked him and he passed out. When I was 54 years old, I was five months away from getting my black belt in Taekwondo. And all of a sudden, I started feeling something in my hip. Every time I do the move, you know, I'm, ooh, ooh. I thought, ah, oh, no big deal. It's no big deal. Five months away from my, tai, you know, from my black belt in Taekwondo, I'm just, I'll get it. And so I, I tried, and I would, oh, every, every time I go, it would hurt a little more, hurt a little more. So I started getting physical therapy. Didn't do anything. I went to the doctor. Now, five months away from my black belt in Taekwondo, I went to the doctor, an orthopedic surgeon. And he walked into the room, and you have to understand, I'm sitting there thinking, I am Spartacus. You know what I mean? I'm like, uh, you know, 54 years old, I'm, I'm going to be a black belt. And he walked into the room with the, with the, the x-rays, and he said, um, you're probably going to need hip replacement in the next few years. Do you know what it's like? To think one moment, I am Superman. I can fly through the air and jump around and do all kinds of... And then have someone look at you and say, Listen, guy, you're most likely going to need hip replacement. On both your hips, you have arthritis in both your hips really bad. We're going to have to do an operation on the right-hand side, probably on the left-hand side, and then down the road we'll make a decision when we'll have hip replacement. It was like this shock to my system. I felt like I could take on the world. You know, I'm a lion. I can do this. And here's the thing. I still have a heart for battle. As you get older, you still have this heart for battle. You want to go out and you want to fight the giants. But as you get older, I realize you need to pick your battles more carefully. 
Doesn't mean you can't fight battles. It just means you need to pick them more carefully. Today we're going to look at the life of King David. And the giants that he faced throughout his life. The battles that he went into and he faced throughout his life. Now, you all know the story of David and Goliath pretty well. I think everybody here, if it's your first time at church, you know the story of David and Goliath pretty well. But there's another story about David that you may not have heard. You may have kind of missed this or skipped over it. It's a story I was reminded of by my friend Sean Emery. We were out to lunch and we were kind of going back and forth and talking about stories in the Word of God and all the things that God was doing. And and it was right in the midst where I was writing the sermons for this series. And he reminded me of this story. And it was like, oh, that would be perfect. In this story, David, okay, when David fought Goliath, he was this teenager, right? Filled with energy, didn't he was fearless, and he was a teenager. But in this story, David is now an older man. But he still had the heart of a warrior. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 15 through 22. Once again, it says there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men, his mighty men, to fight against the Philistines. And he became exhausted. So he's in this battle with the Philistines, right? David, the king, the warrior, took down Goliath. And all of a sudden, he became exhausted, and Ishbibbanab, there's a name for you, Ishbibbanab, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David, and he would. But Abishai, son of Zeruah, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, never again will you go out to battle with us. So the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. In the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. And this time, Sibachah, the the Hashathite, killed Saph, one of the descendants of Rapha. In another battle with the Philistines at Gob, Elhanan, son of Jair, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. In still another battle, which took place at Gath, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each fist. Feet on each foot, 24 in all, if you can't count. God wasn't sure of all, but he's like, just if you're messed up with your math, it's 24 in all. He also was a descendant of Rapha when he taunted Israel. Jonathan, son of Shimea, David's brother, killed him. These four were the descendants of Rapha in Gath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. So David, now come on, it's like David and his mighty men taking on the four brothers of Goliath. Is that not a story and a half? This is awesome. If you don't think it's awesome, man, you're not quite alive, all right? So here they are. So you got this battle, and David's now with his mighty men, and he's charging right in there. But something happens. As we get older, our stories change. Our stories change. And so our strategies need to change because our battles change. As some of you are older, some of you are younger. And as you get older, your strategies need to change in how you fight these battles because the battles are going to change. Here's the thing. 
We may still be lions, right? You feel like, oh, I'm, a, I'm still a lion. You are still a lion. But your teeth are a little bit dull. <laughs> your teeth are a little bit dull and you, you can't seem to battle in that. Now. You can't seem to fight as long, right? You can't seem to battle as long when you were younger. You could go on and on and they were, you were ready for battle. But now you get a little worn out. You can't seem to battle as long. The Bible says that David became exhausted. He became exhausted. In this series, this series is called Don't Just, Don't Just Leave a Legacy, Live a Legacy. What does it mean to live a legacy? We've, ta- we've talked about this. It means that we, we consciously decide how we're going to live every day of our lives. We think it through. What kind of legacy do I want to leave that makes us think, what kind of legacy should I be living every single day of my life? How do I, it's consciously deciding. It means, it means that we, we invest in the lives of those around us so that they're prepared to fight the giants when their time comes. I was watching, oh, it's amazing, I was watching a movie yesterday and had, had a famous actress in it and a singer and, and the legacy, legacy that she left the legacy that she lived, left a legacy for her daughter, and her da- daughter followed right in her footsteps, and they're both dead. Way before their time. Because she lived this legacy for her daughter, and her daughter followed in her footsteps. We need to prepare the generation that comes after us, the people around us, for their battles when they come, because they're coming Our goal should be, my goal should be, your goal should be that we live in such a way that we inspire the next generation to retell our stories. This isn't bragging. It's not about bragging. It's about inspiring the next generation to retell your stories. It's encouraging to know that that great-grandpa or great-grandma or grandma or or mom or dad, this is how they lived their lives. And and it's not just about retelling your stories. It's so much more than that. It's challenging them, encouraging them to build their own stories, to build their own God stories, because it's not about you. You know, that whole thing, I went out for a semi-pro football team when I was 38. I'm not going to give you the whole story, but the reason I did that is because when I was younger, fear overcame me and I didn't go out for the high school football team when I really wanted to, but I didn't know the people on the team and I stuck with my own folks and fear kept me from going out and doing something I really loved and I really, I loved football. I loved playing football. And so when I was 38 years old, I said, I got to get this monkey off my back. I, I hate regret. I won't live in regret. And my Christian life, I don't have many regrets. I really don't. Because I refuse to regret things, woulda, shoulda, coulda. Just do it. Live it. And that's why I did that. But that's the, that's the story that you tell your children. I was fearful. And then Christ came into my life and I overcame my fear. And then I, instead of just saying, ah, oh, you know, let, you know, this is past. Nothing. You can't do anything about it. No, I went out and tried out for a semi-pro football team. Here's the thing. I didn't care if I made it or not. I just wanted to try. I told my daughter, Jen, 
I said, you know, when she was like 18 years old, I said, you know what, I want you to do two things for me. You either drive to or fly to Florida and try out for a Disney, uh, a, 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 one, of the, one of the Disney things, one of the characters at Disney where they're singing on the stage, you know, or I want you to go to New York and go to Broadway and I want you to try out for a Broadway musical. Now, I said to her most likely, and this wasn't because she couldn't sing very well because she knows she can, because I said, you probably won't make it because these people live, people live for this kind of thing. And it's who you know and it's how long you've been doing it and if they know you. But I just want you to experience it. Just go and try out and experience it. I want her to be able to tell her God stories. I want Kim to be able to tell her God stories. I want Josh to be able to tell to build and have his God stories. Why? Because I'm trying to lay a foundation that reminds them and the stories that I tell will encourage them not to have fear but to step out. But we each as individuals need to live in such a way, consciously live in such a way that we build a foundation for our children and those around us and our grandchildren, our friends, our relatives to leap from, to stand on. They need a place to stand. We need to teach them to live to an audience of one. We should live to an audience of one, an audience of one, Jesus Christ, God. We should be living to that audience and everyone, everyone around us should know it. They should know it. Even our giants, especially our giants. Our giants should know who we are and what we live for and who we bow down to. Here's the reality of life. No matter how old you are, okay, no matter how old you are, if you are walking with Jesus Christ, if you choose to walk with Jesus Christ, there are always going to, there's always going to be another giant to face. Until the day you take your last breath. There's always going to be another giant that you have to face. Giants, giants have similar, similar characteristics and similar strategies. Here's what they like to do. They like to taunt us. They, they want, they want to taunt us because it really, you think about this. They taunt us because they know it weakens our soul, right? Our soul. It weakens us. It makes us feel like less than. And then once they weaken our soul, it makes, them, it makes it easier for them to beat us down. Some of you know this better than others because you keep get beaten. You're getting, you're getting beaten down and you're allowing the giants in your life to beat you down. That's what they do. They yell at you. They taunt you. So they can beat you down. So they can discourage you and make you feel weak. They yell into, they yell into your mind, you are a loser and you come from a family of losers. You come from generations of losers. What do you expect? And then you look back and say, yeah, I'm genetically and environmentally, I, boy, no one ever amounts, so I'm never gonna whatever, and this kind of thing, and they just bead on you. You're such a loser. You're never gonna amount to anything. You're so stupid. You're so weak. They remind us, they remind us of our past failures. How do you think you're gonna go do that when you couldn't remember back? Let's, let me take you, let's go down memory lane for a second. Let me remind you of that failure, that time you just us totally messed up that wasn't that embarrassing you want to do that again and they speak into our hearts and they confront they confront us with our personal fears don't try that 
What if something goes wrong? What if they don't accept you? What if they reject you? What if you make a mistake? What if you, and they play on your fears and they confront you with your personal fears and they point out all your weaknesses and they point out all your flaws and you feel overwhelmed and all the, and their goal in all this, okay, is to break down your spiritual defenses. And then we forget to sing, this is how I fight my battle. This is how I fight my battle. It looks like I'm I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It looks like I'm surrounded by, I'm surrounded by you, but that's not what we think. All of a sudden we feel surrounded, we feel weak, and they beat us down. And we just kind of go along with it. Goliath taunted the army of Israel. He taunted them, and it brought panic and fear throughout God's people. Taunted them over and over. And given the chance, here's the thing. Given the chance, your giant is going to do the exact same thing to you. You're not as good. You're not as good as this other person in your family. You're not as whatever. And and they're going to taunt you and they're going to belittle you and you're going to feel and they're going to do that same thing. See, giants, Satan does, he doesn't have a huge repertoire. Kind of uses the same thing over and over and over again. And the giants, it's taunting. They will, they will continue, they will continually taunt you and belittle you and accuse you. They will accuse you and they will lie to you until you feel small and weak. Until you feel like you can't fight. Until you feel like the giants are overwhelming. They'll do to you the exact same thing they did to the ten spies who went out with Joshua and Caleb to spy out the promised land. They'll do the same thing to you. They'll make you feel weak. Insignificant. In Numbers 13.33 it says this. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. There it is. The, the giants made them feel like grasshoppers, like weaklings, like small, like insignificant. They lied to them. Here's the thing, we were created, every single person in this room was created to live in the promised land. So if that's the case, why do most people choose to live and die in the desert? The majority of people choose to live in and die in the desert. Why? Because you're too weak, because you're too small. You can't take us on. Just stay in your seat. Just don't you get involved in the choir. Don't you get involved in teaching anything. Don't you get him. You stay back. What if something, whatever, and keep you in your place. So you end up living and dying in the desert when God calls you, commands you to live in the promised land. When David was young, when David was young, he defeated Goliath. But here's the thing. He's a young man, he defeats Goliath, but the reality is the giants just keep on coming. They never stop coming. Giants like Goliath live among us in the world. But here's the thing, they take on, they, they, they take on the form of debt. They take on the form of, of difficult relationships. They take on the form of illness. They take on the form of discouragement. They take on the form of fear. They take, they take on the form of those things that just keep holding us back. Loneliness. 
So that, if that's the case, then we always need to be on our God, our God, our guard. David took on Goliath when he was younger, but that was just the beginning. The giants just keep on coming. So we need to be on our guard at all times. We need to stay awake. We need to stay alert. David knew this. He knew this. And so David prepared to fight Goliath and whatever else was going to come his way. In 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 40, it tells us this. Then he took his staff. This is David. His staff and his hand chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Have you ever wondered why David picked up five stones to fight Goliath when he's only one giant? Why would David pick up five stones to face Goliath? I'll get back to that in a minute. If you remember... If you remember in David's story, before he fought Goliath, David, God gave David the strength and he gave him the courage, right, to take on a bear in defending his flock. God gave David courage and strength to take on a lion defending his flock. And in this situation, God would give him the same strength and the same courage to fight his new battle with Goliath. This new battle with this giant, like the other, like the other battles that, 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 that David has fought in the past. In this case, when David was now older, David didn't run from the battle. He ran toward the battle. When David was younger, when David was fighting Goliath, when David faced the bear, he ran toward the bear. When David was fighting the lion, he ran toward the lion. Now that he was fighting Goliath, he ran toward Goliath. He didn't run from the battle, he ran to the battle. If you recall, you think about this, King Saul ran from the battle. The Israelites ran from the battle. They all ran from the battle, but David, just like when he fought the lion and he fought the bear, when it was with Goliath, he ran again toward the battle. When, we, when, we, when, when he took on Goliath... Think about this. When David took on Goliath, no one thought this guy was actually going to win. All right. Go back and read the story. David takes on Goliath and no one around him actually thought that he was going to win. No one was betting on the skinny teenager from Bethlehem. No one. Right. You go back. The Philistines weren't betting on him. They didn't believe he could do it. The Israelites, his own army didn't believe he could do it. His brothers didn't believe he could do it. His father didn't believe he could do it. Saul didn't believe he could do it. No one believed he could do it except God. God believed that he could do it. And since God believed in him, David ran toward the giants. We need to do the same. Nothing has changed here. We, we need, you and I need to do the same. We need to run toward the battle. We need to face our giants head on. Head on. 
Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If God is for us, who can stand against us? That's what the Bible says. If God is for me, who can be against me? And so David ran toward Goliath. We need to face our giants. We need to face our battles. We need to face our struggles. We need to face our relationship issues head on. Because if God is for us, who can be against us. This isn't the pastor's words. I'm just pulling us right out of the word of God. You don't know the reason you shrink back. The reason you run away. The reason you live in the desert is because I'll say it again. Like I said last week, you don't know who you are. You don't know who you are. You don't know your, you don't understand your birthright. And so your birthright is taken from you. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why are you cowering? Why are you running in the wrong direction? Why are you taking on the lions and the bears and the giants? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And our God, if our God is for us, who can be against us? If we're going to live a legacy, we need to face our hang-ups, our hurts, and our habits head on. We need to face our fears head on. We need to confront our past head on. Not backing in, not cowering, not running away, but running toward. Because God is with us. And when we do, we find victory. When we go in and fight, we will find victory. We are not the victims in this world. We are the victors in this world. Stop acting like a victim. Stop living like a victim. Because we find victory. And not only do we find victory, we teach those who come behind us how to fight their giants as well. No, how are they supposed, how are your children supposed to know how to take on relationship issues if you won't take on your relationship issues? What are you teaching them? How do you, how are our children going to be selfless if we're not selfless? If we're selfish, how are we teaching them to be selfless? How are we teaching our children to be disciplined if we're not disciplined? We need to fight our giants head on because when we receive victory, when we claim victory, those behind us learn how to defeat their giants as well. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. Here's the truth about the failed strategies of most people. This is what they, this is what they have these strategies and, and, and they fail. They fail because they deal with their issues in the wrong way. They come at it from a, a worldly perspective. Here's the reality, my friend. Hiding from your hurts, hiding from your hurts, it, it won't heal them. Dwell, dwelling on your problems won't solve them. Just dwelling on them and stressing about them and worrying about them, be anxious about them. Remembering your rejections aren't going to change them. The, the Satan and the, the enemy, the giants just pour in, reminds you of your rejections. That's not, that is not going to change anything. Suppressing your memories won't erase them. 
We want to push them down. We don't want to face them head on. We want to push them out. We want to push them down. We want to get rid. We don't want to think about it. But that's not going to erase your memories. That's not going to heal your hurts. That's not going to help you overcome the struggles that you had in your past. We need to follow David's example and lead our lives in such a way that we face these giants head on. We face our challenges head on. You know, I, this week when I was this last couple of days that I was writing this. I felt like the Holy Spirit clearly saying to me, and I don't know why in the midst of this, I, but saying to me that there, are, there is a person here or people here that need, they, they, they need to forgive themselves for their abortion. You had an abortion. And, and God is saying you need to forgive yourself. Satan is using it to keep you in bondage. If you listen to me, I'm going to, t- I'm going to speak truth into your life. If you have asked for forgiveness, you are forgiven. If you have asked God to forgive you, then you are forgiven. You've been forgiven. Now, here's the thing. Now forgive yourself. And begin to live in His freedom. You need to forgive yourself and live in the freedom that Christ has for you. First John 1 John 1.9 says that we confess our sin. He is faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purifies from all unrighteousness. In Psalm 103 and verse 12 it says as far as the east is from the west so far has He removed our sins from us. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sin, our transgressions from us. God chooses to forget when we ask for forgiveness. Remember what I said last week in, 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 in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 6. It says, and the spirit of the Lord will come upon you. Right? I talked about how the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he tore the lion apart as he would tear apart a young goat. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel and the Spirit of the Lord came upon, and he came upon them and they did miraculous things. We need to believe in the miraculous. And now the Word of God is saying to you in 1 Samuel 10.6, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you shall prophesy with them and you shall be turned into, you shall be turned into another person. You shall be turned into another person. God has forgiven you. Hear me out. I'm not saying this with any kind of aggression toward you. God has forgiven you. Stop calling him a liar. God has forgiven you, whatever it is. Whatever is holding you back that the giant keeps pounding away. Remember this. Remember what you did. No. Don't remember what you did now. God has forgiven you. God has chosen to forget. God has set you free. You need to now forgive yourself. You need to move on. If God has forgiven you, then you are forgiven. Stop calling God a liar. Forgive yourself. It is time for some of you to live in his promises and stop living in your past. Those giants are beating you up. They're holding you back. You need to live in the freedom of Christ. You need to live out what God has called you to do. I say this with all the love in my heart. When God has forgiven you and you keep living out your past, you're calling God a liar. You can't do that. You have been forgiven. You have been set free. You need to live that way. Okay, back to David. Years later... 
the Philistines attack again. And David does the David thing. He charges in once again, right? Think about this. A lot of you are this way. doesn't matter. David's older. And here comes another battle. And here comes more giants. And David charges in once again. It's muscle memory, right? See a giant, fight a giant, kill a giant. Right? That's David. I see giants. Give me a sword, right? I see giants. Give me that sword. So David does that muscle memory thing. He thought, honestly, here's probably what David thought. He thought these other giants were a cakewalk compared to Goliath. If Goliath was a big dude, he was the biggest of them all. These other giants are just medium-sized giants. So David thought this was a cakewalk. But circumstances had changed. (laughs) Circumstances had had changed. David was still a lion, but he didn't have those cat-like reflexes that you used to have when he was a teenager. You ever try to move like, I'm 56, you ever try to move like a teenager now? I, I, I played football with a bunch of teenagers, this was 10 or 12 years ago. I played football, I said, Pastor Jeff, you want to play football? I said, yeah, football, I love football. We ran around the, we ran around the field, around, about halfway through the game, I played safety, deep safety. And I would wait for them to get to me. And they usually got around me, but I couldn't play. I couldn't run with them anymore. The next day, my friends, this is not a, this is a true state. Ask my wife. I called her on the phone. I was like, oh, oh, oh. She goes, what's wrong? What's wrong? I said, I'm sitting down. I'm sitting down. Oh, And then I got home in my car. My car was lowered to the ground. And I had to call one of my daughters, because they were in the house, to come out and pull me out of the car. I, I was like, someone come out and pull me out of the car. I can't move. I was like, oh, oh. Right? Circumstances had changed. And his cat-like reflexes were not there. And the cakewalk he thought he was going to have wasn't a cakewalk. He was still, he still, he was still alive, but the teeth were a little dull. Now, now, let's get back to the question I asked earlier. Why would David pick up five rocks to fight one giant? Why, why would David pick up five rocks to fight? Wouldn't, why would he pick up five rocks to fight one giant? Uh, lack of confidence? Think about it. Oh, maybe, maybe I'll miss. Maybe, uh, maybe whatever. I don't think so. I don't think it was a lack of confidence, especially in David at that time. It wasn't a lack of confidence. Could it be the fact that David knew that Goliath had four other brothers? Maybe. I'm not saying that's absolutely true. I don't know. He picked up five rocks, okay, and there's one Goliath and four brothers. That equals five, so I'm just making an assumption. Maybe. And maybe he didn't know when they were going to come. You know, he's fighting Goliath. They're up and there's mountains all around. They're fighting in the valley. He's fighting Goliath. He takes down Goliath. He doesn't know if his other brothers have come down out of the mountain and started fighting him right there. Now, the brothers didn't come out at that point. But here's the thing. They did come. They didn't come on that day, but they did come. The Bible says once again there was a battle. And here's the thing. And another, and another, and another. They just kept coming. The Christian life is filled with battles. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, get prepared. Because the Christian life is just filled with battles. And they never stop coming. If you're younger, even if you're older, you need to read Screwtape Letters. Great book. Screw tape letters. Write it down. Go home. Order it. Screw tape letters. It'll help you so much when it comes to talks about spiritual warfare and how the giants and how evil works. Like I said, David was now an old man. He was an older man here. 
And, and he wanted to fight these battles, and he fought many battles, and he'd conquered, and he'd kind of overcome a lot of opponents, a lot of, a lot of challengers. A lot of challengers. But that doesn't mean that David was indestructible, right? It doesn't mean just because it's David, King David, and all these stories, he's a man. He's just a man. And it doesn't mean that he's indestructible. And in this fight, when he went down with his sword and started taking all these other giants, in this fight, someone almost took him out. Someone almost, someone almost killed him. Listen, here's the thing. I want you to think about this, right? You are an older, you're a little older now, and you have taken out your Goliath, right? Whatever it is for you, whatever that besetting sin was for you as you were younger. I don't mean 20s, maybe 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever it was, but you, you felt like you, you feel like you've taken out your Goliath. You've taken him out. You've faced those hurts. You face those hurts head on, right? You've done that. You, 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 you've overcome your fears. You've overcome those fears that, we, that used to plague you when you were younger. And you're able to get up in front of people now and speak. And you're able to do things that you weren't able to do because you overcame those fears. You confronted those, again, those besetting sins in your life. But that doesn't mean, I hate to break the bad news to you, that doesn't mean the battle's over. That doesn't mean the battle's over. There are always going to be young contenders, spiritual young contenders, evil young contenders coming at you, trying to take you down, trying to take the champion down. You want, you beat your Goliath, but he's got four brothers and they're not going to stop coming. You let your guard down. I've overcome pornography, right? Yeah, you've done that. No problem. You don't have that. You haven't had that problem for years and years and years. I got that licked. Got that beaten. No problem there. I don't have this problem anymore. I don't lie as much. I don't do this anymore. I don't do that anymore. I, I used to cuss all the time. I don't cuss as much as I used to. I've really got that. And as soon as you let your guard down, guess whose brothers are going to show up to remind you? To remind you, to keep beating on you. If, if it's these, and, and you got these young contenders always coming. In this case, the young contender for David was Goliath's brother. Second Samuel twenty-one sixteen and going on. Ishbibbenav. You ever have a son? That's a good Ishbibbenav. No, you don't want to name Ishbibbenav. Ishbibbenav, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spear weighed three hundred shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David. But Abishai, son of Zeruah, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. David still had the heart, right? I said this. David still had the heart. But there comes a time when you need to recognize your limitations. David had the heart of a warrior. He had the heart of a fighter. But there, there comes a time in all of our lives when we need to recognize our limitations and our value in other areas. It doesn't mean you can't fight anymore. It just means you can't fight on the same battleground you once fought on. It means you have to think through your next strategy. Where, where is the best use of my time? Is it on the battlefield or is it someplace else? David's men said to David, David, they said to him, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here in Jeff Greer language. David, your man card laminated. <laughs> Okay, your man card has been... I know they didn't have lamination things, but that's what they would have said. David, your man card is laminated here, but you're way too valuable. You are just way too valuable to our nation to keep fighting these types of battles. 
You know, if you ever saw, I love George Washington. I love studying George Washington. Just love him as a person. And George Washington's men would say to him, George Washington, this is general. I mean, this guy, he goes, we're not sitting here today in the same country that we would have, we would have been sitting in, right? Right? George Washington. But George Washington, you know what he did? He would go on the front lines. He would be fighting with his men on the front lines. There were so many times that he came so close to death and his men were saying, George, get off the battlefield. You're too valuable to us. You can, I, I appreciate your lion's heart. I appreciate your desire to fight. I appreciate your courage we all appreciate those things get yourself back there and that's what david's men were saying listen david i love you 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 are a man of men there there no one questions that but to be honest with you at this point in your life i can't fight a giant and protect you at the same time abishai he went and defended David, but Abishai was saying, listen, we, we can't let you keep doing this. There's a time and a place for everything. Part of living a legacy is knowing, to when let, to let, knowing when to let others step in. It's knowing when you need to let others step in, into leadership positions in the company. Oh, they, no one can do what I can do, and they never will either. It's knowing when to let others step into leadership in the church. It's knowing when to let others step into leadership in the organization. It's knowing when to let others step into leadership even in the home. It's knowing when to let other people come around you and let them take leadership as well. We need to recognize our boundaries and depend on those that we have invested in to fight for us. To fight with us, but even to fight for us, like Abishai, if necessary. There are times where you just have to take a step back and say, you got to have to take this one on. I, I'm running, I've kind of, I'm out of energy, right? It's hard to admit sometimes. It's hard for me personally to admit that I don't have like, I'm, I'm run out. I'm, I'm tired. You know, I can, you know, David or Andy or Kevin or, you know, any of the other women on staff. And can you guys step in and can you take this on? Because I'm kind of tired, you know. Can you guys, can you jump into this battle and fight this, fight this one for me? I'd really appreciate it. It's hard to, to do that sometimes because what? You're, you know, you used to curl 180 pounds. <laughs> now I have tendonitis and both elbows can't curl at all. <laughs> Now I'm benching. Now I'm like, how much can I bench? I got 245 recently. I was like, oh, now I'm going to go. But I got to be careful, right? You got to know, man. You got to know when it's time to stop curling. Start benching. Start doing something else, right? Do something else. That's okay. Let someone else pick up the heavy weight. Let someone else do the curling. We need to recognize our boundaries. That's why living a legacy is so important. We need to consciously teach people. Listen. We need to consciously, consciously teach people around us through our actions and with our words. Show them, tell them what to do. Invest in their lives. Walk them through how to do these things. Because the reality is you're not going to be able to fight on that battlefield forever. We need to give those people the opportunity. Honestly, you need to give the people around you, and this is pride, and we got to put away our pride. We need to give the people around us the opportunity to shine to show where their strengths truly lie because we may need them sooner than we think 
You may need them in battle with you sooner than you actually think. No one can fight an army on their own. No one can fight an army on their own. And no one can fight alone on two fronts. No one can fight alone when there's too many things coming at them. You need to invest in the people around you and give them an opportunity to protect you, to fight with you. I found a clip that I think just illustrates this really well. Watch this. As they mature, young males begin to explore the boundaries of the pride's territory. Red has ventured out alone. straight into the middle of the hyena clam. <laughs> He's trapped by over 20 of them. Hyenas could kill him. to fight them all at once. He can't keep them at bay for much longer. He's towering fast. Tartu has heard the commotion. is too much to take on. Red is lucky. I love Asses 4.12 says, Though one, one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. 
A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Wisdom helps us to determine which battles that we can fight on our own and which ones that we need others to help us to fight. And most of the time, we need others to help us fight. David's primary strength at this point in his life was leadership. It was leading. It was teaching. It was setting an example for other people fighting on a different battlefield. David realized that what matters most, what truly matters most when he's gone is what he leaves behind, his legacy. What matters most when David is gone is what he leaves behind. Like David, we need to take responsibility to build into, to create, if you will, mighty men and women who will come after us and do things that we could have only imagined doing but we need to invest in their lives we need to prepare them for the battles that are to come the the giants they're going to face the hyenas if you will they're going to take on living a legacy means we outlive ourselves we outlive our own lives that we live in such a way that we outlive our lives it means recognizing it means recognizing that each stage of life brings with it new opportunities to invest in the lives of the people around us because we understand what we leave behind will not be chiseled into stone it will be woven into the fabric of human hearts that's what this is all about that's what this series is all about it's about investing in the lives of those who are around us it's about living a legacy living our lives for jesus christ in such a way that the people around us see that desire to live that way as well and that we build a foundation for them to leap from to stand on so they can take on whatever giants come their way they can fight whatever battles come their way because we've given them, we've invested in them, we've, be, we've turned them into mighty men and women for God. Who when our time comes to put down the sword, they're ready to pick it up and fight with us and sometimes fight for us, protect us, strengthen us, carry us. This church... When the leadership of this church, when I'm, when I go the way of the dodo bird, okay, I plan to leave behind people, young people, people who are younger than I am, who are ready, willing, and able to pick up that sword and fight whatever battles come their way. And I will, honestly, I will leave this life content, secure, and happy man, knowing I left it in the hands of people who can take on whatever comes their way. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, dear God, that we are a church who will not shrink back. A church that will stand on your truth. A church that will invest in the lives of others who come after us, who are around us even now, who are willing to pick up the sword, willing to pick up, Lord God, where sometimes... We have weaknesses and we fall short. God, may we stand with one another. One can easily be overpowered. But two, two, Lord God, can overcome. And a strand of three strings is not easily broken. Lord God, may we be that church 
May we be that people who stand for you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great week.